This is uh, lecture number 16 in our series, God's Glorious Salvation. Those of you who have uh, a 3x5 card, if you would uh, please look those verses up. We will be using them. Um, and I'll, I will call on you there, um, though I sprinkled them throughout the room here. Uh, we will be following the order that, uh, that you'll find in your notes. Does everybody have a, pair, a, a copy of the notes? All right. Um, this morning, we are, we are going to conclude our, our examination of uh, the, the, the so-called doctrines of grace, uh, also called the five points of Calvinism. And I remind you, that these five points that you'll find behind me on the whiteboard uh, are not the sum total of Calvinism by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, these are five points that were in response to people who opposed certain doctrines taught by the Reformers, of which Calvin was one of them. And these five points... Um, came to be called the five points of Calvinism long after John Calvin was, uh, was, was dead. So we, we, we've talked about um, total depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace. This morning we're talking about perseverance of the saints. And now each of these I have uh, suggested that there's another descriptor that might be um, a, a little bit more apropos to, uh, to understand what, what, what these, these old dead guys were, were trying to communicate. You tell me, when we talk about total depravity, what other language might we use to describe what that doctrine teaches? How about radical corruption? Okay, right from 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 the Latin word radix, meaning uh, the core. At the very core of our being, we are we are corrupt. Or moral inability is another uh, label that we use. Um, what, what else might we we use? What other language might we use to describe unconditional election? About sovereign. Sovereign election. <laughs> All right. How, how about what, what's another what's another label we might use for a limited atonement? Particular redemption. Uh huh. There is there is going to be a test on this, you know. And so far, we're not doing so. Well. <laughs> Um, irresistible grace, we might uh, describe in what other language? Effectual grace. Effectual grace. <laughs> she found her notes, okay. <laughs> well, well, if we were to use those other, other descriptors here, we wouldn't have this nice acrostic tulip. Uh, this certainly helps us understand or remember the, the, the points. And um, the other descriptive phrases obviously haven't stuck in your head, um, and it certainly doesn't remind us of any particular flower. Um, this doctrine of the perseverance of the saints that we're going to look at this morning might also be called, and maybe a little bit more helpful, to talk about the preservation of the saints. We'll get into that. Let's talk about the doctrine itself. Let me describe it. Let me define it. First point, first bullet in your, uh, in your notes. When we talk about the perseverance, the enduring nature of uh, a, a true believer, we're talking about um, the elect who will most certainly persevere in their faith to the end of their life. These will most certainly be saved 
ultimately, completely, finally. Now, this doctrine does not mean that a genuine believer will not have doubts. It does not mean that a genuine believer will not sin. Um, It doesn't mean that those who make a profession of faith will be saved. That is, a profession of faith, a faith only. Okay? Um, now, this, this doctrine will, uh, teaches us that God will not allow those to remain in sin indefinitely. Christians are still sinners, and we will do bad things. Um, this doctrine doesn't teach that we are going to be sinless or perfect, but it tells us that even though we may sin, and we may sin for a season, be it a week, a month, a year, ultimately, God is going to bring his people back. He will discipline, chasten his people that they might be, they might walk in obedience to him. Okay? Um, those who are granted faith, those who God gifts with faith. Remember, his election, his choosing is without condition. Other people will say, well, well God will um, elect those who have faith, those who repent. Um, and, and on that basis, he chooses them. Uh, that is a conditional kind of election, and the scriptures doesn't teach that at all. We've looked extensively at that. I want you to listen to what the Westminster Confession of Faith says about the perseverance of the saints. They, whom God has accepted in his beloved, effectually called and sanctified by his spirit, they can neither totally nor finally fall away from the state of grace, but shall certainly persevere therein to the end and be eternally saved. Next point, Westminster Confession. There are three. Here's the second. This perseverance of the saints depends not upon their own free will, but upon the immutability of the decree of election flowing from the free and unchangeable love of God the Father upon the efficacy of the merit and intercession of Jesus Christ, the abiding of the Spirit, and of the seed of God within them, and the nature of the covenant of grace, from all which arises also the certainty and infallibility thereof. In other words, God... God, um, calls his people, and he gifts them with his Holy Spirit. And in so doing, God begins a work that he is most certainly going to complete, and that completion is bringing us into his holy heavenly presence for all of eternity. Now, the scriptures are, are um, uh, I, I think, very clear regarding how God um, uh, preserves his people and how they persevere in their faith. Now, I've given you, um, uh, uh, sprinkled throughout you, uh, some, uh, some scripture passages. So, as I call your scripture passage, if you would be so kind to read it, and uh, um, particularly the ladies, if you would uh, speak Loudly and clearly. Psalm 138, verse 8. The Lord will accomplish what concerns me. Thy loving kindness, O Lord, is everlasting. Do not forsake the works of thy hands. David prays a prayer of preservation that will most certainly be answered. And we know that from the following verses. Isaiah chapter 46, verse 4. 
right with age. I made you, and I will care for you. I will carry you along and save you. You're right. That, that fits you well. <laughs> Isaiah 64, uh, or 46 rather, that we just read, verse, verse 4, um, is mirrored in uh, the New Testament, Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Who's got that, please? What God starts, he completes. Period. All right? Uh, Jeremiah 32, verse 40. God will certainly work on behalf of his people. All right? Uh, Romans chapter 11, verse 29. For the gift and the calling of God are irrevocable. What does God gift us with? Well, he gifts us with faith. He gifts us with his love. Um, he gifts us with repentance. Um, those are gifts that he doesn't say, oh, I'm taking that back. It's mine. I'm not going to give it to you. No, God doesn't, doesn't, uh, doesn't treat us that way. When he gives, he gives, period. And it's there forever. All right? Uh, John chapter 6. This is the will of him who sent me, that of all that he has given me, I lose nothing, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. He will lose not one. Not one. John chapter 10. John 10, 27 to 29. Mm -hmm. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Those are some of the most encouraging verses in the Bible. There is nothing, no one, there is absolutely nothing at all that can snatch us, steal us uh, away from, from the Father. Once he has us in his hand, we're there. Yes, Matthew? Let me, let's answer that in just a little bit, okay? We'll, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll deal with that. Second um, Timothy chapter 4. Second Timothy chapter 4, verse 18. <laughs> the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Paul wrote that um, last, well, it's the last chapter that he wrote of uh, any of the books that we have. It's possible that he wrote other letters following this, but we, we call 2 Timothy his, his, his swan song. This is, this is it. And, and he says with great assurance, with great confidence, he knows that what he has entrusted to the Lord, namely his his soul, his eternal being. He knows that the Lord's going to care for him, take care of him. He's going to complete the work he started. It's the same confidence that every believer has. Uh, Hebrews chapter 7. <laughs> Therefore, he is able also to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession He's going to save us. Um, let, let me read 
the third section in uh, the Westminster Confession on this particular doctrine. Um, Nevertheless, they may, through the temptations of Satan and of the world, the prevalency of corruption remaining in them and the neglect of the means of their preservation, they may fall into grievous sins and for a time continue therein. Thereby they incur God's displeasure and grieve his Holy Spirit, come to be deprived of some measure of their graces and comforts, have their hearts hardened and their consciences wounded, hurt and scandalize other, and bring temporal judgments upon themselves. But even in the midst of all this terrible, horrible, no good, very bad stuff, they will be saved. God will bring us back to him. So let's, so let's, let's explore a couple of, of, uh, of, of statements. There's, a, there's an overview of what the scriptures teach regarding this, this doctrine. Um, let's, let's look at, at a couple statements that are uh, closely attendant to this idea of the preservation of the saints. One has to do with a, a person's quote-unquote eternal security. Now there's um, uh, every believer yields to 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 temptation on occasion. Uh, we all uh, slip and fall. Um, here's what we mean when we when we talk about eternal security. Um, God pres- preserves His people such that if they sin, God corrects them brings them back into faith. Now, I've said, I've said many times that the Christian life is, is a life of continual repentance. I, I, I sin, I stumble, I fall down, um, I, I, I do what is displeasing to the Lord, I grieve the Holy Spirit, and when the Spirit convicts me of that, and I am made aware of my error, I am broken, contrite, I want to please the Lord. That's the mark of a genuinely saved person. And so I repent and I I return to him. That's the normal Christian life. And it'll it'll happen on a daily basis, hourly basis. Um, Now what this this doctrine does not mean, of this, this idea of eternal security, It does not mean that once a person has made a profession of faith, they've raised their hand, they've gone forward, they've been baptized. If if their faith is only a profession, that doesn't mean that that person um, uh, is is automatically saved. There, There is no security for someone only in a profession of faith. Everybody turn to uh, the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, if you would please. Hebrews, chapter 12. The middle of this chapter talks about uh, the Lord's discipline um, and bringing his people back to himself who have erred. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. Pursue peace with all men, the author writes, and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. In other words, if if I am not growing in holiness, even though I stumble and I fall on a daily basis, If I'm not growing in holiness, I am not giving evidence of the fact that I truly do possess faith. The perseverance of the saints is, um, um, talks, the the preservation of the saints, I'm sorry. Um, The 
preservation of the saints talks about the, the work of God on behalf of his people that stumble and fall. He, he preserves us. He gives us the Holy Spirit. He reminds us of where we have fallen down. But, but, but in the pot process, he is pointing us ever, ever more consistently in the direction of, of walking in holiness and obedience to the Lord. Um, there, there, is, there is no true salvation for somebody who is simply seeking a fire insurance policy, as we might talk about that with regard to salvation. Attendant to this idea of eternal security is the phrase, once saved, always saved. Um, uh, that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a bit of a misnomer. I personally don't like to use that phrase because I have to spend a paragraph done to explain what's, what's being said there um, because it can be very misleading uh, as, as is the phrase uh, e- eternal security. It, it, sure, yeah, go ahead. It's, like, it's almost like saying once married, always married, and not putting any effort into marriage or something. Is that a good way to You get what I mean? I get what you mean by that, Matthew. I, um, um, I, I, I suppose you, you could use that as a, as a as an analogy, uh, the 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 problem with the the analogy, though, at least at least this this is a problem. Um, marriage is only for this world, in this age, and what we're we're talking about is something that is is just a little bit longer than this age. Um, so so yeah, it 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 could be an idea that that you from um, a, a this world kind of view you could. You, you might be able to use, but but uh, yeah, we're talking we're talking about eternity. Um, this uh, this particular phrase, "once saved, always saved," is uh, is something that um, swirls around um, conservative evangelical Calvinist leaning um, uh, organizations. Now, the, the the seminary that I went to. Um, uh, this, this was a this was a popular phrase that you you might you might hear, and um, in the years that I was in seminary at uh, at, at Dallas Theological uh, back in the eighties, um, th- there was a there was a controversy that arose um, uh, called lordship salvation. Um, um, it, it, that that was a that, that was a slam, um, a, um, uh, characterizing um, what what I I believe is the biblical ap- approach um, to, to say uh, we are we are what what the uh, what what the proponents of of this idea of lordship salvation or. or um, I have too many things going on in my head. Um, there it was. This is going to, that's going to be more confusing. Um, there was a gentleman at at, um, at at Dallas Theological was a faculty member, Zane Hodges by name, um, who, who said that that there is absolutely nothing that is required of us for our salvation other than faith. Belief, and um, it was stripped away of anything else. Now, out of out of their 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 zeal to not put any any works or anything attendant to that to say we are saved by grace alone, they they wanted to put a a big very big period right there. We are saved by grace alone. And 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 close the book is what what they wanted to do. Um, that that particular view was was slammed as um, potentially unbiblical, um, and was labeled easy believism. When there was nothing else 
um, mentioned as a part of who we were to be. Uh, If you look with me at Ephesians chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 talk about being saved by grace through faith, not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Um, That easy believism uh, perspective highlighted those two verses and ignored verse 10. Verse 10 reads, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Um, no, nobody in, on, in my side of the world uh, will, will say that a person is saved by their works. However, the genuineness of faith is revealed in the desire to do good works. So, um, so we are, as, as Martin Luther was, was noted to, to have said, uh, we, are, we are not saved by works, uh, but we are saved for works. Our good works don't earn us anything, but they are a reflection of what has genuinely happened within us. Um, there, I put some notes, uh, some quotes in your notes, um, some statements by those who, who deny this particular doctrine and um, promote in an unhealthy way, an unbiblical way, this idea of once saved, always saved, which is why I don't use that, that phrase. Charles Stanley popular preacher. Um, Even if a believer for all practical purposes becomes an unbeliever, his salvation is not in jeopardy. All right, we, we really need to sit down with Charles Stanley and have a long conversation about what does he mean exactly by a believer becoming an unbeliever for all practical purposes. What does that mean? To Matthew's question here. If a person um, says, well, I, I don't want anything to do with God, I don't want anything to do with church, people, uh, the Bible, I'm, I, am, I am done with all that stuff. Is that person not saved? Well, if we could get into that person's heart and soul and find out exactly what's going on, we might be able to make a, a, um, uh, a, a declaration of whether they are indeed saved or not. It's possible that a person might say all of that vitriolic stuff, might have n- nothing good to say about God, church, uh, because maybe they have been hurt very, very badly by other Christian people. And it may be that they really don't believe what they just said about God, church, and all that kind of stuff. It just, they have been so badly hurt that they can see nothing beyond that. They don't don't want anything to do with organized religion. Is, Is that person thereby unsaved? They might say they're an, an unbeliever, and, and in all practical purposes, it may look like they're not a believer. They don't give any of their money anymore, any of their time anymore. They don't call other people on the phone. No. They isolate themselves. Well, what, the, what, this, what this doctrine tells us is that for that person who is genuinely saved, God is going to bring them unto himself and unto heaven. Um, It might be a circuitous route to to get there. That person may have to go through years of counseling and such, but, but if they are genuinely saved, 
they will come back to the Lord. Um, St. Hodges said, uh, said this, this is your next quote. The Bible makes it clear that many believers will not persevere in loyalty to Christ. Some will become apostates, yet continue to be Christians. What? Now, my deepest respect to, to, to Zane Hodges, he had a, a wonderful reputation at Dow Seminary. This is nonsense. If someone becomes an apostate who rejects, repudiates, uh, kicks into the mud all things related to God, that person can be a Christian? Are you kidding me? No, wait. When the Bible first talked about people who were Christians, when they first labeled them Christians, it meant they were like Christ. Um, a person who is an apostate is not one who is like Christ. Now again, that, that this person might be, might be uh, tremendously hurt and might look like they're an apostate, but in their heart of hearts, uh, that's not really the case. Here's no, one other quote. Believers who become agnostics are still saved. They are still born again. You can even become an atheist. But if you once accept Christ as Savior, you cannot lose your salvation even though you deny God. Yikes. A person who simply makes a profession of faith if that's all that is, they are not safe. There must be, there will be, a changing, a transformation of their life. Will that transformation be perfect? No. Will it be instantaneous? No. Will there be bumps and, and hiccups and sin, maybe even gross sin? Yeah. But when you look over the course of time, and that, that period of time may be a month, but probably it's 10 years, 20 years, in that period of time, you will see growth in holiness. Going back to that statement in uh, Hebrews chapter 12, pursue sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. There must be spiritual fruit. Turn with me to John 15, if you would, please. John 15. We'll be here in a couple weeks. Um, verse 8. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit. And so, prove to be my disciples. Look at verse 16, same chapter. You did not choose me, Jesus says, I chose you and appointed you that you go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain. It is nature of a person who is genuinely saved. It is the desired expectation of those whom God saves to bear fruit, much fruit. And in so doing, in this process of transformation, the sanctifying life, they prove, they demonstrate, they verify the reality of God's saving grace within them. Now, you, you, you may remember from uh, 1 Samuel 16, I'm going to turn there and read. You can turn if you want to, but, but uh, it, it may be better just for you to listen. When, when God tells his uh, prophet Samuel, 
to anoint the next king of Israel. Remember, uh, first king Saul um, chose to go his own way, and the Lord removed his protection, his leading, his guidance, directing in the form of the Holy Spirit, removed that from Saul, and the Lord said, I'm going to find another man, I'm going to have you, Samuel, appoint another man whom I choose to, uh, to lead my people. Of course, we know that to be David. And in 1 Samuel chapter 16, um, we, we read about Samuel uh, having uh, this man Jesse and his sons come to, uh, to have, have uh, dinner together offer sacrifice. And uh, Samuel knows what's going on. Jesse has no idea. Um, and so Jesse and his, and his boys start marching into the room where they're going to have their meal together. And Samuel is watching the proceedings, and he's, he's thinking in his own mind. He knows what God is up to. He's going to, he himself is going to anoint the next king of Israel. And so he's, he's sizing these guys up. You remember when, when Saul was called to be the first king of Israel, he was the tall, dark, and handsome kind of guy. He was the one everybody said, oh, he looks like a king. And so Samuel kind of had that same idea. We all do. And when they entered, 1 Samuel 16, 6, Jesse and his, and his boys, he looked at Eliab, that is, Samuel did, and he thought, surely the Lord's anointing is before him. This is the firstborn. This is the, the next tall, dark, and handsome kind of guy. I can just feel it in my bones, and I see it with my eyes. This is the guy. Verse 7 tells us, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For God sees not as man sees. For man looks at outward appearance. The Lord looks at his heart. Now here's the point of application of that scripture to our discussion here, the perseverance of the saints. When we... Um, when, when, when we hear somebody make a profession of faith, we might look at, um, we might not, not just hear their profession, but, but we might be looking at the things in their life. There, there needs to be uh, evidence of their genuine conversion. Not for our benefit, but for the verification that they are indeed uh, saved people. But even um, those people that, that simply make a profession of faith can deceive other people. We've seen that over and over again. Um, it's also possible that a person can do the works of righteousness and still not be saved. For a period of time, there was a gentleman from, from um, one of the Carolinas, I think it was North Carolina, uh, that uh, came and worshipped with us for a period of time, who identified himself as a newly saved man, but a man who was formerly a pastor of a church in one of the Carolinas. So he was a pastor before he got saved. That's an example of one who looked like, maybe to everybody else, like the kind of guy who was a pastor. He read the Bible nicely, and he had a, 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 nice, a nice sermon. Um, but he wasn't genuinely born from above. All right. Um, if you look with me over at 1 John chapter 2, please. 1 John chapter 2, verse 19. The Apostle John, in this first letter, is all over this idea of demonstrating uh, the, the, the truthfulness, the authentic nature of your relationship with God. 
And over and over again, he says, you, 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 you claim to know God? Well, then demonstrate it, prove it, verify it by your life. And he says this in chapter 2, verse 19. They went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us, but they went out so that it would be shown that they were not of us. These people that went out, um, we, uh, you know, maybe, maybe they stomped off in anger. Uh, they said, well, we're, we're not, we don't want anything to do with, with the Lord. In some ways, maybe those are genuinely saved Christians that have simply been hurt. It's also possible that they were never saved in the first place. They go off, and the fact that they um, didn't stick around, didn't persevere, if you will, in the faith, evidences the fact not that God is deficient, but that their faith was bogus. Um, So so here's a a question. I, I think I put this in your notes. Can a, can a person lose their salvation? This, this is uh, part and parcel of this whole discussion. Can a person lose their salvation? Well, uh, the Arminian position is, yes, you can. I remember uh, with, 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 uh, with, with great clarity a conversation I had in college with a sweet young lady um, who I decided to marry. And we were were discussing this very point. And it was my contention at the time, I am so glad the Lord slapped me in the face, spanked me on my spiritual bottom and said, wait a minute, you you need to get your... Your, your mind square with scripture. Um, this, this, this verse, these verses in, uh, in Hebrews chapter 6, I, I remember reading and arguing the point, yes, a person can lose their salvation. Here's the verses. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 4. In the case of those who have once been enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away, it is impossible to renew them again to repentance. Pretty clear, ain't it? That's what I thought. Young lady that was sitting across from me, we were sitting in a quad on a bench talking about this at the time. Um, It's impossible to restore, renew these people again to repentance. Doesn't that rather clearly articulate the, the, the point that a person who indeed has been saved, can lose their salvation? No, it's not what this verse teaches. The book of Hebrews is written to a group um, largely comprised of Jews, Hebrews. Not exclusively so, um, but there was in the early church um, an amazing electricity of what, when, when the Holy Spirit got a hold of a group of people, there was, there was an enormous change every, everywhere. And people saw the transformed lives of their, their friends, their work associates, their neighbors, their other family members. 
and, and people were drawn to this group like a magnet. Though I won't mention him by name, you, you, you all know that the, the gentleman, to the best of our knowledge, who is still not safe, that has been attending with us for months now. Why? He has said, um, I, I've heard him say this on a couple of occasions, because these people love me and I would do anything for them. You know who I'm talking about. Um, there, there has been such a change in our lives that other people are drawn to that, like a magnet. Well, there, there was in, in the early church those people that were hanging on. They, 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 they liked what they, they were hearing. They certainly liked the, the, the lifestyle of the people. It was refreshing. It was holy. It was righteous. It was, it was just. They treated each other with fairness and equity. And so the, the author of Hebrews says, to this group of people, not to genuine believers, but to people that were simply hanging on. They have been enlightened. Well, they've been sitting under the preaching of, this, of the word. They, they know more now than they did before they started coming here. And there is a degree of enlightenment here about who God is and what God's doing they have tasted of the heavenly gift. They haven't swallowed it, but they've tasted it. It's been on their tongue. And they've, they've tasted the, the sweetness of the honey of the gospel. Oh, but they haven't swallowed it yet. It's not theirs. They have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit in that they have seen the work of the Spirit in their midst, in the group of, of these other believers. They've seen what the Holy Spirit has been doing in the other people's lives. Uh, they have tasted the good word of God. Again, <laughs> it is like honey, but they haven't swallowed it. It hasn't become a part of who they are. Well, if they fall away, verse 6, if they walk away from all of this wonderful, bountiful goodness and grace of God in the lives of these people, if, if, if they fall away, if they walk away from this, there is nowhere else for them to turn where they're going to, to, to find um, uh, eternal life. It's impossible to, uh, to, to, to give them what they, um, they, they say they want in terms of uh, being, uh, being with the Lord, being in heaven. They'll not find it anywhere else. You're not going to go anywhere else and, and, and uh, uh, be, be renewed again unto a, a living, thriving relationship with God. It's, it's not going to be found anywhere else. So, so we're, our, um, these warning passages in, in, in Hebrews, of, of which there are a small handful, um, are, are these talking about those people who have been saved and then fall away from the faith? No, we're talking about people that are not yet saved. Haven't been saved. They walk away, indeed. But they're not saved, never were. They kind of fit in that, that category that, that uh, the Apostle John uh, mentioned in his first epistle, chapter 2. Um, they, they, they left us, but they were not of us. Um, mm, let, me, let, me, let, me, let me close with, uh, with just, I, I know we've got a number of other scripture passages that uh, have not been read yet, and I'm, I'm sorry we're going to, uh, unless there's no discussion here, we can come back to some of those. But, but let, me, let me close with 1 John chapter 5. Turn there with me, 1 John chapter 5, verse 11. 
1 John chapter 5, verse 11. And the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. I've used this illustration many, many times as I've, as I've witnessed. If, uh, if I'm sitting down and I... Let's say that this is a coffee cup. It's actually a water cup. It doesn't have any coffee in it. But, but if, 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 I, if I say to somebody... Um, I, I, I have this cup in my hand. What other, what other words might you use to describe what's, what's in my, my, my hand here? I, I have it. Find a synonym for I have this cup. I, I possess it, okay? I'm, I'm holding it. What else? I own it. I carry it. I grasp it. Okay, those people who have grasp, possess, own, if you will, Christ have eternal life. And those who do not do not have eternal life. Now, you have, you have to go, you have to spend a paragraph talking about what, what, what does it mean to, to have, to possess, to, to grasp hold of, of Christ. Um, and it means to depend upon him, it means to submit to him, it means to believe on him, all of those things. And that's, that's, that's part of the explanation here. But, but there is an assurance here. If, if I have trusted Christ, committed my heart to Christ, um, if he is indeed the Lord of my life, I have the assurance of salvation. Verse 13 of chapter 5. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. I, I think that's a good observation, Robert. <laughs> All right. 